Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Hey, if we have anybody visiting today, we just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you are here. We want you to feel at home. My name is Nestor Flores, and uh, I get to be the pastor of this awesome, cool church. And uh, if you've been here the last six weeks, you haven't seen me. Uh, but it feels so good to be back home. Let me tell you that. It feels so good. I know some of you guys thought I was on vacation, but I was not. Okay? I was doing four services per Sunday. I, I, I was already preaching, and some of you were still sleeping. Our first service was at 8 in the morning. So uh, I was. Uh, the Lord had opened some opportunities, and uh, I just want to be faithful to uh, those opportunities. Last weekend... I made a mistake, and I do have to apologize a little bit for that. I got invited to speak at a youth camp, and uh, the Lord gave me a passion for, for the youth when we were younger. And uh, I prayed about it, and I felt like God wanted me to go, you know. And when they gave me the dates, I made the mistake in thinking that it was Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. So I said, great, I'll, I'll be at church, and then I'll head out up north and go to it. Well, I made the mistake because it was Saturday night, Sunday night, and Monday night. Uh, but let me tell you, God did something wonderful at that camp. There was over 100 youth, and I'm talking teenagers and early, and early 20s. And there was over 100 of them. And over 80 of them got baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues, just overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord led me to making a, a call and say, if you feel called to serve the Lord, if you feel called to ministry, let's heal this moment. Let's acknowledge this moment. And over 35 of them passed up to be prayed for where they said, I, I feel the Lord calling me to ministry and I'm going to do it. So, so I thank God for those opportunities. Amen. But I do want to say a big thank you to the Pillar Pastors. They're amazing, you know. Uh, people tell me, Pastor, we don't miss you. We got some great speakers as well. And, and I know that. I know that. That's why I felt like I could do that. And we are just so blessed. You know, some churches don't even have one good preacher. We got more than four of them, right? We got, we got more than four of them. So a big thank you to all of them. Um, quickly, before we jump into the message, I'm excited about today's message. Um, if you've been here within the last six months or so, or maybe within the last few weeks, next Sunday, we're having a welcome to day spring lunch. And it's just a casual lunch after church where we want to get to know you. We want to welcome you. If you got questions, you can answer them. I and the other main uh, pillar pastors will be there. I would love for you to come. It's a free lunch. It only takes about an hour. So if you'd like to join me, I, I need to know because uh, we need to order food. We need to do all that preparations. So if you haven't been to one within the and you've been here within the last six months or so or six weeks, um, please, there's a connect card in front of you. 
Would you take that right now? Just take it right now. Don't leave it for later because then you'll forget. Would you take that right now? Put your name, put a number, and just put, um, I want to be part of the lunch. We'll get in touch with you. We'll give you more info. And I look forward to meeting some of you. And then the other thing, after church, we're heading to the beach. Uh, I hope you come join us. We're going to have a good time. Don't worry. I'm not going to take off my shirt. Um, but it's going to be a good time. We just want to spend some time together. Listen, church, it's important for us to spend time together outside these walls. That's why we push life groups a lot. So if you don't have plans, or even if you do, we hope you change them and you go with us to Hermosa Beach. There's some wonderful restaurants out there. There's a pizza spot that's got New York-style pizza just across the street from the beach. So you don't have to worry about, oh, I didn't buy food. There's a liquor store in the pier. You can buy some sodas and Gatorade there. Sodas and Gatorade, okay? Sodas and Gatorade. Um, so you hope you join us. If you're... If you're young adult or, or, or you're a single mom or you're a widow and uh, you don't have a, a right to get down there, let us know as soon as possible and we'll find you a way to get down there. Amen? All right. Well, when you walked in, you should have gotten a bulletin. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. One of the ushers is going to bring one to you. Today, we're going to start a new series called Keeping the Faith. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're encouraged to grow. We're encouraged to grow in our knowledge of Christ. We're encouraged to grow in our service in the body of Christ, which is the church. But we're also encouraged to hold on to, to stand firm, and to keep the faith. Inside your bulletin, there's an outline. If you'll take it out, you can follow along with me. Look at what Hebrews 10, 23 says. It says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith, check this out, without what? Wavering. And then 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, stand firm in the faith. And perhaps one of the most famous verses, and, and, and I've contemplated that when I die, I want this verse to be written on my tombstone or in my herb. I haven't decided what I want to do. But look at what Paul said at the end of his life. He said, I have kept the faith. Now, that's important. That's important because doesn't it feel like more than ever people are walking away from Jesus? Doesn't it feel like more than ever, there's more people that once called themselves Christians, that once professed the faith, but now no longer do? We can all think of somebody, right? And it doesn't have to be, oh, that was like 10 years ago. No, I think we can all think about, hey, just before the pandemic, maybe. I knew of so-and-so who was serving the Lord, who was walking with the Lord, and now they're not. They say they still believe, but, but, but they're not they're not standing firm in their faith. Perhaps is the young person that because of his parents who were Christians grew up in the church, but now as they are coming of age, they no longer want to hold on to the faith. Or maybe it's that couple that because they were having problems, they came to Jesus, but, but now things are a little bit better, so they're drifting away from the Lord. Or maybe... Or maybe it's a friend who suffered a great loss, who suffered a tragic event in their life. And now they find it hard to believe. They find it hard to follow Jesus. In Christian circles, when somebody abandons the faith, we call it backsliding. The Bible calls it apostasy or falling away. 
And the scripture not only warned, uh, encourages us to stand strong in the faith, but it warns us that walking away is possible. Look at what 1 Timothy 4.11 says. It says, the Spirit clearly says that in the later times, the latter times, some will what? Abandon the faith. And then Matthew 24.10, this is what Jesus said. He said, at that time, and that word that I highlighted there in your bulletin scares me. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. So we got to ask the question, what would it cost somebody who professed faith in Jesus? What would it cost somebody who grew up in Jesus? What would it cost somebody who found hope and help in Jesus to walk away from Jesus? Well, we're going to look at four scenarios that I think, especially in our day, are the biggest threat to our faith. Four times or four things that I've seen that have caused people to abandon and forsake the faith. But we're not just only going to identify them. More importantly, we're going to look at what we could do to make sure that that doesn't happen to us. Can I tell you something? I think one of the saddest things is going to be in eternity. It's going to be those individuals that thought they were surely secured in Christ. But when they pass to eternity... They're going to find that Jesus said, depart from me, for I never knew you. Because they professed a faith, but they didn't really live out and follow that faith. Faith, believing, it's a good starting point, but it's not the end goal. It is believing how we come into a relationship with Jesus, but that believing needs to lead us to following And I think one of the saddest things is going to be those individuals that find themselves for eternity, separated from God, who said, man, I was at church and I never did it right. Man, I knew, but I never took it seriously. I should have listened to my parents, but, but I thought I knew best. I think that is going to be one of the saddest, most horrific scenarios in eternity. To say, I was so close, but yet I'm so far. So, so, so here's the thing. If you think, oh, no, I've been a Christian long enough. I could never walk away from the Lord. None of us can say that. We're all susceptible to drifting away. We're all susceptible. And, and here's the thing. Here, here's the biggest way, okay? In our Christian faith, you're either growing or you're growing, you're growing closer, I mean, or you're growing further away. Always. You never stand still in, in your Christian faith. You never are just kind of in one spot. No, you're either getting closer to Jesus or you're growing further away from Jesus. We're, we're, we're drifting towards him or we're drifting apart from him. And when you're not careful, you can drift so slowly that you eventually open your eyes one day and you find yourself so far away from Jesus. How does that sound? Does that sound like something you're interested in learning about? Well, let's pray and then I'll start, I'll start preaching. Is that all right? <laughs> You're like, I thought you were preaching already. No, that was just the intro. That was just the, you, you got to remember, I'm used to preaching four times in one Sunday. Now I only get one shot, so I got to make it last. No, I'm joking. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we're going to touch a serious topic. And maybe a topic that is going to bring conviction, that is going to bring awareness to many of us. I pray that we would not hear the condemnation of the enemy that tells us how bad we are and how we'll never get it right. 
but I pray instead we hear the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, highlighting, emphasizing those things, but with open arms saying, come home, let me help you. I got this. Father, give us awareness. I pray especially for our teenagers, for our youth. Lord, I pray that today's topic would be one that, Father, the intrigues that gets them started to have conversations. And I pray you speak to all of us, but especially to those that are in universities, to those that are young. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, the first scenario, the first reason uh, that I want us to look at and why some individuals walk away from the faith, why they abandon the faith, is culture. It's culture. There are times when your faith and your culture collide. I thought of saying when faith and culture intersect, but they don't intersect. Not in our days. They collide, right? Your faith and your culture will eventually collide. And I have to tell you from the get-go that if your faith and your culture are not colliding, you may not be following Jesus. You may not believe this, especially the younger people, but those of you that are older, you remember a time when culture was not only influenced by the Christian faith, but it was determined by the Christian faith, right? That's why you hear older folks say, oh, we're a Christian nation, and all the young people say, but it doesn't feel very Christian. Because at one time, culture was not just influence, it was determined by the Christian faith. Well, the truth is, that as Christians, we're not the home team anymore in this nation. We are the visiting team. And it's a very hostile environment that we are in. The popular opinion, the guiding values, the practicing behaviors, they are colliding with our faith more and more every time. Right? Faith and culture collide on big as well as small issues. Pastor, what are some of those big issues where sometimes culture and faith collide? Well, what about the LGBTQ? What about abortion? What about politics? What about what marriage is and who, is, who can be married? Those are some of the big issues where culture and our faith collide. But there's also those not so big issues where our faith and our culture collide. Because the Bible calls us to be kind. Jesus calls us to honesty. He calls us to fairness. And you know, there is so much in our current culture that just doesn't square up to the way we were called by Jesus to think, believe, and live. So what do you do? What do you do when, when culture and faith collide? Well, before I tell you what you do, here's what you need to know. You need to know that as Christians, Jesus' power reaches enough to redeem culture. We are not just to condemn culture, and I think as Christians we are guilty of that. We're really good at condemning and suing and being bitter. The, the, the plan of our God is to redeem culture. We don't condemn culture. We definitely don't adapt to culture. 
We influence the culture. What do you do when your faith and your culture collide? Young people, listen to me. God wants to use you not to become like everybody else. God wants to use you not just to be a martyr. That may be necessary in some occasions. But most importantly, God wants to use you to influence your culture. Because the desire of God is to redeem our culture. So what do you do when your faith and your culture collide? Well, you definitely don't adapt to it. You don't condemn it because that will lead you to abandoning your faith, but you influence it. Now you say, how do we do that, Pastor? How can we influence such a difficult and heavy and powerful culture? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible gives us the answer. And it gives us the answer in the story of Daniel. Daniel is going to show us what it looks like to be in a very dominant, in a very hostile, in a very aggressive, in a very difficult culture. But not adapt to it, not condemn it, but influence it. Are you ready? Look at, look at what the scripture says in your outlines. Look at, let's read Daniel 1 through 7. And it says the following. It says, during the third year of King Je Je Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, I don't have time to go into the history of that. But last year, we did a whole six-month series where we talk about the things that are happening here. But, but if you're interested why that happened, um, you can go back and listen to our series or you can do a Bible study. But look at verse 2. The Lord gave him victory... God gave victory to the non-Christian king over the quote-unquote Christian king. He says, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Asphanas, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Look at verse 4, ladies. Here's a good verse to help you find a good man. Here's a good verse. Okay, ladies, don't settle for anything less than Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. You ready? Okay, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young man. Does that sound good? All right. Select only strong, healthy, and good. So, so I, I would have fit in that role. They would have taken me. Amen. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal place. Now, look at this next verse. This is key. Train these young men in the language and literature of what? Okay, pay attention to what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar, a Babylonian king, comes to Israel and he conquers the people. He takes over and one of the things that he does, he says, I want you to take young men. And there were approximately 12 and 15 years old. And he says, I basic, basically what he says, I want you to brainwash them. 
I want you to teach them our literature and I want you to teach them our language. I want you to brainwash them. I want them to forget their culture and embrace the Babylonian culture. I want them to forget their God and start worshiping our God. That's what's going on here. Okay, look at verse five. Look, look, look at how he does that. The king assigned him a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. In other words, he gave them access to how the king lived. Why? Because if they got to enjoy those good things, then they would embrace all the other things that came along with it. Acceptance, young people, not just young people, but church. Acceptance has great power. And sometimes we forsake the faith. We ignore our godly values just to be accepted. They were to be trained for three years. Anybody else remember who trained 12, group of, uh, 12 men for three years? Not a coincidence, right? They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of what? Judah. Oh, man, I wish I had time to go into what it meant to come from the tribe of Judah. But here's what you need to know. Their names are mentioned because that is important because of the verse that we're about to read. In the Hebrew culture, names were an expression of their faith in God. Names had a prophetic connotation to them. They were not given because, oh, that, that name sounds kind of cute. That name sounds kind of cool. Well, I, I kind of like the letter K, so all my kids are... No, no. In the Hebrew culture, names were given as a reflection of the parents' faith and as a prophetic word over the children. Okay? So the name Daniel... Uh, the name Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were names connected to their faith. But look at what verse 7 says. The chief of staff renamed them with these what? Babylonian names. Okay? You got to be careful because culture still does that. They rename things. And they call bad good and good bad. Oh, it's not sin. It's cohabitation oh it's not murder it's fill in the blank look at what he says the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names Daniel was called Belteshazzar Hananiah was called Sadrach Mishael was called Meshach and Azariah was called Abednego here's an interesting story right three young men with faith, who are thrown into an aggressive culture, what do they do? What do you do when your faith and your culture collide? Well, Daniel's going to show us. Let's take a look. The first thing that Daniel did that you need to do if you want to keep your faith when it collides with culture is you got to decide ahead where you will stand. The first thing you got to do is decide ahead of time where you will stand. Look at what verse 8 of that first chapter says. It says, but Daniel was determined. How did Daniel respond? Well, here's how he responded. He was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. 
Now, now this is so awesome. Parents, listen to me. Here's a 14-year-old boy who knows that eating such food violates his faith. The first thing you got to know, parents, is that Daniel's parents had discipled him to know God's ways. If Daniel had not been discipled by his parents, he would not have known that such food was prohibited to him. Young people, you got to know that at a young age, you can still choose to honor God. Daniel, let's say he was 14 years old. He knew that this food had been offered to idols. He knew that this food uh, uh, prohibited the, 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 the religious uh, laws of his time. And the Bible says that Daniel chose ahead of time to honor God. That he chose ahead of time to not defile himself. To not adapt to culture. Now, now, here's what you got to know. You got to listen to this. You might want to tweet this, okay? Daniel made that choice before he smelled the food. Thank you, Leslie. Daniel made that choice before he smelled the food. Before he saw the food, before he got a whiff of the food, he said, I am not going to defile myself. You have to make that stand before the temptation comes. It is before you meet that cute coworker that you need to decide ahead of time, I will not be unfaithful to my spouse. It is before you start dating that you need to take the stand and say, not only will I not date non-Christians, but I am not going to live together before we get married. It is before you get your first job, before you get your first credit card, that you make the stand and you say, I am not going to get in debt like everybody else does. I am going to live on a budget and I'm going to honor God with my money. You need to take a stand ahead of the temptation. You got to choose. Daniel chose to honor God's commandments. Now, now, young people. Not just young people, but I'm especially thinking a lot about our younger generations in this, in this series. But, but it applies to us adults. What do you do? What do you do when you come to a commandment of God that contradicts what you believe or what you think? What do you do when God says it's A, but you think it's B? What do you do? You change your opinion. Because God knows best. We don't shape scripture to our lifestyles. We shape our lifestyle to scripture. If you say, you know, but we've always kind of believed like this. But God says otherwise. You got to believe that God knows best. And you got to let God's word trump your opinion. And young people, listen to me. A lot of it is like, well, everybody else thinks like that. Well, you're really smart kids. All you have to do is look at history where plenty of times popular opinion was wrong. At one time, there was a popular opinion that later on was discovered to be wrong. Hitler is one of the most clear known examples. Now, we look back at Hitler and we say, no, no, that that, that was wrong. Is it possible that a lot of the popular opinion that culture is taking that contradicts God's word is wrong? I believe it is. 
Now, I'll give you a secret. You want to know a secret? When you come to one of God's commandments, can I pick on the adults too? Can I? Hey, please, thank you. Because I know the young people are looking at me like, what about the adults? Let me pick on the adults, okay? Those of you that are married that got separated bank accounts, lean in. Oh, it got quiet now. Oh, Jesus. Jesus said something about a house divided will not stand. Right? So let's, let's, let's suppose me and Lorena, we each got our bank account. You pay your bills. You pay, I, I pay mine. You know, when we go out to eat, you pay this time. I pay next time. Well, Jesus said that a divided house will not stand. So, so let's suppose... Let's suppose that I'm a Christian, I'm a growing Christian, and I become aware that God wants us to be one and to not allow nothing to separate what God has joined together. But I don't like that commandment because I make more money than Lorena, and, and, and if we put it together, she's going to know how much I spend on, on Dodgers and how much I spend on Starbucks. And, uh, you know, it's not fair that she kind of gets... You know, so what do you do when you come across a commandment that you don't like so much? Here's what you do. You ready for this? You find the purpose behind God's commandment. Why does God say we shouldn't live together before marriage? Why? Is he this giant bus killed creature? No. No, he's not. Because he knows that commitment is essential to a healthy relationship. Why, why does God say to be faithful to your spouse? Because he wants me to be boring with the same person forever and ever? No, no. Because he knows that intimacy thrives in exclusivity. So, so when you come across a commandment that you don't like, don't just say, oh, God's old, times have changed. No, look at the purpose behind it. Why does God command us to give 10%? Because he wants us broke? No, because he doesn't want money to own us. And the best way to not let money owe you is to give it away. To trust God with it. So the first thing that Daniel did to not condemn the culture, to not adapt to the culture, but to influence it, is that he decided ahead of time where he was going to stand. Amen? Which, by the way, I love something that Andy Stanley said. He said, where you stand is influenced by where you sit. So the people you hang out with will have a great influence at where you stand. You want to change your stands? Change who you sit with. Amen? Number two, number two, number two. When faith and culture collide, here's another big one. You got to make room for God's grace. The first thing is you take a stand ahead of time. But second, you got to make room for God's grace. And you got to make room for God's grace in two areas. Please pay attention to this. Write them down somewhere, okay? The first area we need God's grace in. You ready for this? And if you're not a Christian, don't worry about this. This is not for you. But if you're a Christian, you got to write this down. We need God's grace in our character. Condemning our culture will not allow us to influence our culture. Can you imagine if Daniel had said, you know what, you bunch of heathens, you and that wine and all that food can go to hell. I'm going to, I'm not going to. 
Daniel would have been a martyr. They would have killed him. And there would have been some, some honor in that, that he's, you know. But you know what's greater than being a martyr? Influencing it. And a lot of times, we're just angry. You Google, Christians are, on Google, put Christians are what? And you're going to get a bunch of negative things. Angry, judgmental, bitter. We need to be graceful in our character. There is a time for the law to get involved, but you can't go, oh, well, we'll see what the law, I'm going to sue you. (laughs) We need grace in our character. Can I put it in a different way? Can I put it in a New Testament way? We need the fruit of the Spirit in us to be kind, loving, patient, good, with self-control. So we need it in our character. But you know where we also need God's grace? In our circumstances. We need to make room for God's grace in our circumstances. Now, listen to me. Grace, God's grace, is like a coin with two sides. The first side is the bad stuff that you don't get because God is good. But on the other side of grace is the good stuff that you need, that you don't deserve, that God chooses to give to you. And when it comes to our faith and our culture and those hostile, difficult circumstances, we need God. We need to make room for God's grace in our circumstance. How did Daniel do this? Well, Daniel made room. Look at what what the second part of verse 8 says. After he said, I'm not going to defile myself. Look at what he did. He asked. He didn't demand. He didn't sue. He didn't go to HR. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. He was graceful. He made room for God. He said, I want to honor God and I got to believe that God is going to move in my situation. Now, if you know the story, you know the answer Daniel got to that request, right? What did the guy said? Nope. He said, no. Because if this goes wrong, that's my head. Nope, nope, we're not doing this. What did Daniel do? He made even more room for God's grace. Look at what he did. Look at what verse 12 and 13 says. He told the chief of staff, he said, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. He made room for God to move. He said, okay, okay, you don't want to commit all the way? Just what about 10 days? Could you do 10 days? He believed that God was going to move on his behalf. He was graceful, not just in his his attitude, but he was graceful in making room in his situation, not for the lawyer to act, not for social media to lash back, but for God to move so that he could influence the culture. How did God respond? Well, look at what happened in verse 14 and 15. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his, and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and the wine provided for the others. Hey, what happens if at work? 
your coworkers are being dishonest and their dishonesty is leading to bigger amounts of compensation, to bigger gains. And perhaps maybe even your, your supervisor tells you that you need to do what they're doing. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit says, no, you're different. You're salt and light of this world. What do you do? Do you report them to the Better Business Bureau? No, you make room for God's grace in your character, but also in your situation. What do you do when all your friends are cheating? They found the website to the answers for the test. And they want to send it to you. But you know that that's wrong. You know that that is not the way a follower of Jesus Christ ought to act. What do you do? You make room for your character. You make room for God's grace in your character in your situation. And you said, Lord, I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal from people. I'm going to do it the right way. And I believe that you're going to prosper me. I believe that I don't need to lie or cheat for you to prosper me. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. Well, I've done that, Pastor, and he didn't do anything. Well, then you cling to God's grace even more. Is it possible that God may be wanting to use that situation to take you to a better job? Is it possible that God is trying to use that situation that may not go the way you want it for his glory? And he can, right? So, so what do you do when your faith and culture collide? You make room for God's grace in your character, but also in your circumstance. And then last one, and I'll finish with this. And this is the big one. This is the big motivation. This is, this is, this, you know, if you didn't like the two first ones because they're kind of hard, here's your motivation, okay? When faith and culture collide, you expect God to honor your decisions. You expect God to honor your decisions. You got to write this down somewhere. You got to write this down. Because Daniel honored God, God honored Daniel. Let me say that again. Because Daniel honored God, God honored Daniel. You want God to honor you? You want God to bless you with influence, success, and goodness? You got to ask yourself, are you honoring him? Why should God give you success when you're not influencing your culture for his glory? Why should God open doors when you're adapting to culture? See, in verse 8, Daniel determined to honor God when he said, I am not going to defile myself. But in verses 9, 15, 17, 18, and 19, God honored Daniel. Look at what Daniel 1.9 says. Look at this. Let's look at some of those. Now, God had given the chief of staff both, look at this, respect and affection for Daniel. What did, what did God do for Daniel? He gave him favor in the eyes of the people that were in charge of him. We already read verse 15, where after the 10 days, it says that Daniel and his three friends were healthier and better looking than the other ones. That was God's doing. And then look at verse 17 and 19. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. In other words, these guys were genius. They were at the top of the class. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And if you know the story of Daniel, you know that is why Daniel is known. 
See, the kids know him for Daniel in the lion's den. But we as adults need to know Daniel because Daniel was given the revelation of the end of times. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Revelation. It's a scary book. It is. It is. Well, did you know that Daniel is the Old Testament equivalent of the book of Revelation? In fact, to better understand Revelations, you need to understand Daniel. Look at the great privilege. Look how much God honored Daniel. That he gave him an ability, not just that served him during this time, but even today. You want to understand God's plan for the end of time? You got to look at Daniel. Let's continue reading in verse 18. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought up the young man to the king Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Look at what 1 Samuel 2.30 says right there in your outlines. For I will honor those who what? Honor me. We don't adapt. We don't condemn we influence, and we influence it by taking a stand. We influence it by making room for God's grace because we know that when we do, God will honor us. Young people, God has chosen you to change the generation, not just to become one more in the line. And God allowed you, and God brought you to grow up in this wonderful, powerful faith not so that you can abandon it, but so that it can be the catapult that launches you to making a difference. Now, let me end with this. Let me end with this. Look at what verse 21, last verse of chapter 1 of Daniel. Look at what it says. Daniel remained in the royal service, so he remained in the king's palace until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Anybody remember what king brought Daniel to Babylon? It was King Nebuchadnezzar, not the same king. Listen to me, listen to me. From Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 1 verse 21, there's 70 years. You know what that means? Daniel outlived King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel outlived so many other kings. Because he didn't abandon his faith, because he didn't adapt to the culture, God gave him influence for 70 years. 70 years kings change, but Daniel remained in the king's court as God's influencer to that culture. If you don't abandon your faith, not only will God grant you eternal life, God will grant you influence and longevity here on this earth. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in him. 
Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.